What's going on, everybody? And welcome in to another edition of Be Shafe Daily. Brendan Schaefer here with you. Early morning hours of Thursday, July 28th, 2022. Talking some Cardinals baseball here after a win. Isn't that nice? It's been a while since we've been able to say that. As the Cardinals got just the one win over the weekend against the Cincinnati Reds. And then we didn't podcast until Sunday night after they had lost another game. Prior to that was the All-Star break. So it's been a little bit. But now the Cardinals are back in the win column against the Toronto Blue Jays. They split the series up in Canada. 10-3 loss on Tuesday. And then they come back, turn it around with a 6-1 win on Wednesday night. So we'll talk about that tonight as we break down a Cardinals winner. Adam Wainwright, very good. Albert Pujols picking up the slack without Arenado and Goldsmith in the lineup. Very good to see the veterans step up. We'll talk a little bit about the contents of the game, and we'll also continue to monitor the trade chatter as Wednesday morning a news story surfaced that may have lent some credibility to the conversation that we had last night, Tuesday night on B-Shafe Daily, talking about the Cardinals' ideal trade deadline, or my version of what that would look like, as Jeff Jones of the Belleville News Democrat reported Some interesting news on the Juan Soto front and how the Cardinals might be going about making a play for him. The name is being discussed as a potential headliner. We'll get into that as well tonight on B-Shape Daily. But before we get into the content of the show, I want to remind you, you can follow and subscribe to B-Shape Daily on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, really anywhere else it's convenient for you to listen to your podcast. Go to anchor.fm slash bshafer12. Click on more platforms and find all the places that you can locate the B-Shape Daily podcast. If you'd like to support the show, you can do so on a completely voluntary basis, of course, because this is a free podcast and I am sure hoping to keep it that way into the future. But I've had some people reach out and so I will start reminding people, if you want to support the show, at bshafer12 on Twitter, you can click on my Twitter profile and click on the button that's next to the follow button that looks like a little money symbol, and there's where you can find my Venmo, my Cash App, if you would like to support the show. No obligation, of course. Let's get into the topics for today. And we might also, by the way, talk about Mike Trout and that situation. It seems like over the last few days, no matter what I do, I find a way to step in it on Twitter. I find a way to get people mad at me. And uh, I think I partially did that with Angel's Twitter today because of the Mike Trout injury situation. And I just had to ask some people who I know personally and uh, get their opinions on what Mike Trout might be dealing with. His injury, I think, was completely overblown. And then by the time Wednesday night arrived and Mike Trout got to talk about the situation himself, he basically agreed with that assessment. So I might talk about that a little bit at the end if I don't go too long on the Cardinals stuff. I've I've gone for like 50 minutes to an hour the last couple of nights. I absolutely don't have time to do that tonight. So I'm going to try to keep it a little more brief. Let me know, though, if you like the longer podcast, the shorter podcast. Like, I'm, I'm still getting used to this, getting into the rhythm of doing these shows for everybody and wondering what people do prefer. 30 minutes, 50 minutes, 20 minutes. What do you like? What's good for you and your commute? And, and, and what do you have time for, right? Because if we're going every day trying to break down the latest in Cardinals baseball, sometimes maybe those long episodes are too much for people. Always let me know. I'm looking for your feedback at bshafer12 on Twitter. So let's hop into it, though, with the outcome and the results from Wednesday's game. 6-1, to one, the Cardinals defeat the Toronto Blue Jays. Big old win. This was one that the Cardinals really needed, not just because of all the vaccine stuff going on, and, and if you lose both these games in Toronto, questions about, well, 
what if Arnado and Goldsman had been there? Would it be different? You don't have to worry about that so much anymore. You at least split the series against a good team, team in Toronto that's 54 and 44 even after the loss on Wednesday. Cardinals improved to 52 and 47. They're still second place in the division. Milwaukee won again on Wednesday, so you didn't gain any ground there, but still doing your due diligence in the wild card race because Philly also won, so you remain tied with them for that final wild card spot. But the Cardinals needed this win, and the veterans were the ones that came through and supplied it. Adam Wainwright was fantastic tonight. The curveball was as good as I think we've seen it from him all season long. This stat line is just remarkable, especially when you consider how good Toronto has been as a lineup recently. Seven innings, five hits, just one run allowed, eight strikeouts, and no walks allowed by Adam Wainwright. No walks at all allowed by Cardinals pitching tonight as Gallegos and Ryan Helsley came in to finish the job after Wainwright gave the Cardinals seven strong. That total of zero, the big goose egg in the walk department, is absolutely critical after a night where the Cardinals combined to walk four guys and the walks that they they came up with on Tuesday were in some really bad spots. Jordan Hicks, Junior Fernandez walking a couple of guys that led to the Grand Slam. It was all part of the runs that were allowed. Those walks come around to score. And Wednesday, the Cardinals were able to have good control over the strike zone, led by what Wainwright was able to do. Struck out eight batters. He's not necessarily the gaudy K-total guy at this point in his career, but you see him every once in a while dig back and do it when he needs to. Tonight, a lot of it was with the curveball. That was a sharp pitch that he could drop in for strikes at any moment. It's really good to see Wayno be vintage Wayno with the curve as he did on Wednesday. The eight strikeouts were the most a starter has managed against the Toronto Blue Jays since July 2nd when Shane McClanahan struck out Blue Jays hitters 10 times in the game. Wainwright goes for eight tonight. It's the most strikeouts he's had in a single game in about a month. He did strike out nine batters back on June 27th, and he had 10 strikeouts in an earlier start on May 31st. So only three times this year has Wainwright accelerated into that level of strikeouts. Sometimes you have a game where you just need them. You need to be able to put guys away, and Adam was able to do that tonight. And he had some really fun thoughts after the game, courtesy of Bally Sports Midwest talking about, well, Albert Pujols, who was a big thrill in this one for the Cardinals as well with the three-run home run that he hit. I'll let you listen to what Wainwright had to say about Albert Pujols. It's always a touchy subject, age, with Wayno, but, you know, when you have a great night and your buddy Albert has a great night, sometimes it's okay to talk about how old you guys are, especially when Albert is two years older. So here's Adam Wainwright from the Bally Sports Midwest postgame show talking about his buddy Albert after the 6-1 to Cardinals win. He's unbelievable. You know, he might be old a little bit. Might, he might be old, but he can still hit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's great. He's great. He's my man. You know, he's uh, we're, just fun to watch him. That was a tank bomb he hit tonight, too. So, still got some pop. I mean, that's why we still play the game. You know, we feel like we can contribute. So, uh, I don't think he's out there, and I'm not out there to try to be, like, you know, mascots or anything like that. We want to go out and contribute and be quality players. That's Adam Wainwright from the Bally Sports postgame show, courtesy of Bally Sports, for the audio on that one. Talking about Albert Pujols, talking about the night that he had as the Cardinals defeated the Toronto Blue Jays 6-1. to Yeah, it was vintage Albert tonight. He goes 3-for-4. Hits the towering home run, 439 feet on the estimated distance in the top of the fifth inning for the home run by Albert. His seventh of the year, his 686th home run of his career, and the 439-foot bomb was the longest, the farthest hit of his season. Just vintage Albert, just an absolute towering shot. One of those where you know it off the bat. They even brought in 
a new pitcher to try and face him to try and stave off that sort of moment. It didn't work. Albert takes him deep and gives the Cardinals at that point an extended 6-1 to one lead, the number by which they would ultimately win the game. Nolan Gorman hits a home run in that inning as well. Pretty considerable shot for him. First opposite field homer in the big leagues for Nolan Gorman, his 10th home run of the season. That came earlier in the fifth inning. He made it 3-1. to one. Albert's three-run shot made it 6-1. to one. Good to see for Nolan Gorman, and I think Norm really needed that one, especially considering the topic we're going to talk about here in just a few minutes regarding the Juan Soto trade talks and how maybe Nolan Gorman might be involved in those at this point in time, which cannot be easy for a rookie player who's already gone through some struggles at the plate recently trying to work through those things and to hear his name floating around. Yeah, I'm partially responsible, I suppose, although I'm not the one actually putting him in the trade talks. But last night, I did say on B-Shape Daily, Nolan Gorman as a headliner could end up being something that maybe gets things over the top to help out the pursuit of Juan Soto. We'll talk about actually how realistic that is and whether maybe some new information has come to light that could mean the Cardinals maybe paying a little bit more than we thought or maybe more than we had hoped if the Juan Soto trade is to ultimately happen. But we'll get to that in a minute. But I want to take a moment to give credit to Gorman for battling through all the things that are going on and being able to hit that homer tonight. He looked pretty good. Two for four, two runs scored. Good job by Norm in the game. Batting out of the eighth spot, that's not probably a very customary spot for him given that he's been one of the better hitters, one of the best hitters at all the levels that he's played throughout this point in his career. It's an adjustment for a rookie player to have to work through. But remember, he was a top prospect as well. And yes, there are holes in his swing, but I think it's only a matter of time before Gorman can more consistently put things together. And the power does not lie. The power is always going to be there. And I think the frequency with which it shows up is just going to be a matter of how often he can avoid the kinds of swings and the kinds of chasing the plate discipline issues that can obviously happen for a rookie. You try to press too much. Uh, feel a little bit too much pressure at the plate. I, I feel like the more he just is himself and can go with pitches like that to the opposite direction, the power is going to play, and it did tonight for Nolan Gorman. Good to see. There was uh, moments in this game that we should probably talk about that were a little disappointing from uh, the Cardinals' perspective, really from a base-running perspective. You had the issue with Albert Pujols, and both these happened in the same inning, where Albert Pujols tries to come around and score on a base hit from second base, but he was kind of tiptoeing into third. It was not his fault. Pop Warner was waving him around. This isn't like the old days when Albert would run through the Jose Okendo stop sign. But I think instead of looking for the baseball, trust your coach, whatever. The guy's 42 years old, so I'm not going to spend too much time harping on him for this one. But you would have liked to maybe seen a little bit less aggression in that spot just because there was nobody out in the inning. Chance for the Cardinals to really put up a crooked number perhaps in that spot, especially after seeing firsthand on Tuesday just how potent this Blue Jays lineup can be. You don't want to give them any free opportunities to beat you or to be able to catch up more easily than they otherwise could. So Albert gets thrown out at the plate. You're like, man, that's a bummer after his leadoff double. Dickerson flies out. This was in the fourth inning, by the way. And then Lars Newtbar with a similar situation. He doubles to score Brendan Donovan, which is great. But then he gets thrown out at third base, which ends the inning, making the last out at third base, never something that you want to do. And so, honestly, instead of perhaps a two, three, four run inning, you never know how far that could have gone. The Cardinals end up leaving the fourth with just that one run. And Toronto picks up their lone run in the bottom of the fourth. And so, at that point, you could be feeling the momentum maybe start to shift, which is why it was really imperative what the Cardinals were able to do offensively, just 
bringing out the big swings, the power sticks in the fifth with Gorman and Albert being able to get that done. Dylan Carlson had the other RBI on the night in the third inning with a RBI double. Good to see DC3 continue to get things done. As I've said, I'm not looking to trade him for Juan Soto, especially right now with the, the question marks that you have in the Cardinals outfield without Harrison Bader healthy. And so that's basically what tonight's game looked like. So let's get into some of the other stuff. We're going to get into Soto, but I want to touch on the Harrison Bader update because I think that's pretty relevant to what we're about to be talking about. If the Cardinals are going to go and pursue an outfielder like Soto, what does the current situation look like? Well, Harrison Bader, I just don't know how soon we're going to see him, guys. I think it's going to be several more weeks before we see Bader. He went out on a second opinion after Sunday. John Moselock revealed the information in his Zoom, which was talking about the Toronto trip and the vaccination stuff, but he revealed, Moselock did on that Sunday Zoom, that Bader was seeking a second opinion because he tried to ramp up some baseball activity, some running activity with the plantar fasciitis and was still experiencing soreness. And that is a concern, I think, for Harrison Bader. Maybe more of a long-term type of concern because we know that he is a speed-based player. What he's able to do for the Cardinals defensively on the base paths and even uh, in terms of in the batter's box, being able to beat out infield hits and put himself into position to help the team in that regard. Those are humongous elements of Harrison Bader's game. And what's those are the things that make him such an important piece for the Cardinals. You look at his wins above replacement, his war totals each year. They're always crooked numbers. They're always really good. Even though you might look at the batting average or you might look at the offensive production and say, well, it's not all that significant. But you combine what he does there with his base running, with his defense, he ends up being a very valuable player for the Cardinals when healthy. But according to reports from Toronto, Harrison Bader's follow-up today, this is from Jeff Jones, confirmed the plantar fasciitis diagnosis. Structure of the foot looks sound, no surgery on the table, but he still has soreness in his heel. Cardinals expect him to be shut down for a matter of weeks. So shut down, again, means you just have to rest it, rehab, hope that you're able to heal the situation or at least alleviate the pain because it's about what you can play through, the soreness. And it's it's a deal that Bader's going to have to continue to, to manage and for the Cardinals, I think that's unfortunate timing because not only are you talking about this Juan Soto situation, but you're looking for pitching. You're looking to potentially make some trades on that front. Lots of reports coming out today that the Cardinals are are interested, you know, something from Jeff Passan that they're in on Frankie Montas. It's a name that Cardinals fans have been interested all the way back to March, I can recall them talking about that player and asking me questions about whether Frankie Montas might come to St. Louis. Pablo Lopez, available for the Marlins, is, is a guy they should be checking in on for sure. Tarek Skubal of the Detroit Tigers has got team control through, I don't know, 2025, 2026. He's only 25 years old. He's a guy that's going to be available for uh, whichever team acquires him if the Tigers do end up trading him for quite some time. So the Cardinals are looking at these players, and some of these teams, like the Marlins, couldn't end up using an outfielder. And that's why I talked about last night. If you missed the B-Shape Daily episode previously, I believe that was our 250th episode, by the way, the previous one. Not one to uh, remember the the landmark episodes b- before they actually happen. Could talk about them after, but when I was posting it up, I go, "Oh, that's two fifty. I wish I would have said something." But last night, if you haven't seen that episode, go check back and, and and listen to it because we talked about a lot of situations with regard to Juan Soto and potentially also trading for a pitcher at the same time. There are conversations we're going to continue to have as we get more data and more info and more reports. Though we'll be able to fine tune uh, what we perhaps think about these situations and. Whether Bader was to be a trade chip or a guy that you just wish you had in your outfield right now, it's a bad time for the Cardinals not to have him. Um, and personally, with the Juan Soto thing, I feel like the math checks out for you to trade either Bader or O'Neill, which I'm more 
likely to say you hang on to O'Neal just based on the upside with his power potential to be another what I call Infinity Stone. If you're a Marvel fan out there, Infinity Stone type of bat in the middle of your lineup. He's not always doing that. He had an over tonight, but he's capable of it, right? We remember what Tyler O'Neill did last season. So if you put that in left, you put Carlson in center, you put Juan Soto in right. Again, we could be in total fantasy land here, but I'm just thinking of what the ultimate Cardinals lineup could look like with, of course, Arenado and Goldschmidt at the corners in the infield. That would be very dynamic, very power-heavy and dangerous for opposing pitchers to have to navigate. That being said, I don't think it's realistic at this point to trade Bader with the update that we got today. Even if the Cardinals were interested in doing that, I just don't think other teams are going to be willing, even if they had otherwise been intrigued by the player with the injury status. It's just bad timing. So I don't know what that ends up looking like, how that impacts the Cardinals at the deadline, how it impacts their ability to go out and get Soto and potentially clear a spot for him to play. Not that you're clearing a spot for Soto, but you if you're holding on to Dylan Carlson, he's probably going to play somewhere as well, and so does a right fielder, so you do the math. Got to kind of figure that out. Makes it a little bit more difficult for the Cardinals to navigate an already complicated and, and obviously sensitive situation when you've got young players on your team that you really like. But if you got a chance to get Juan Soto, you may have to go get Juan Soto. But you don't want to upset those guys in the process in case the pursuit doesn't work out. And that's maybe what we could be on the verge of seeing happen right now with the report from Jeff Jones this morning for the Belleville News Democrat that Nolan Gorman has been discussed as a potential headliner type of name in a potential trade for Juan Soto. Cardinals and Nationals, people ask me all the time, Are they? is this actually something that could happen or is it just these random accounts on Twitter? And I've gone on and on and gone off on these types of accounts already. If you listen to the big show on KTGR on Wednesday afternoon, I threw the whole thing under the bus. Just ignore the anonymous accounts. Most of them are trolls. Even the ones that aren't, that are claiming to be real, they're not. They're doing basically what anybody could do if they have internet access is read the news, read the things that are actually being reported, and then change up some of the words and make it sound a little bit similar to where it's plausible, and then start picking up retweets. It doesn't have any basis in reality. If you're just doing it for the entertainment and you like reading this stuff because it's a video game to you, that's perfectly, that's fine as long as you are understanding of what it actually is. It's complete nothing. It's like watching a Netflix show. It doesn't have any bearing on reality or the things that could take place. But certain t- when you're when you're seeing reporters write stories and they're explaining what what information they're getting, that's when you can you can maybe start to read into this a little bit. And I think with the number of reports that we've seen, there's obviously smoke behind all of this. Now, can the smoke continue smoking until you get a spark and you get a flame and you get a trade? There's still, I think, ways to go before that happens. But these things are definitely being discussed behind the scenes and. Just because something is being discussed doesn't always mean we're going to get a report of specifically what's going on. But Jeff Jones felt confident enough in his reporting to go ahead and name that multiple sources have described negotiations between the Cardinals and Nationals. That includes Nolan Gorman and that it is possible that the Cardinals would be looking to take on Patrick Corbin as well. Nolan Gorman, Patrick Corbin. Kind of rhymes, but not really. That's the kind of linguistic analysis that you're only going to get on B-Shape Daily. You won't find other people trying to rhyme Gorman and and Corbin. It just won't be something that you see. So uh, that's why you subscribe, folks. You you get the real good stuff here. And Gorman has been struggling recently prior to that home run tonight, which people might say, well, that ups his trade value. Now now they're going to want it. I have no idea. But here's the one thing I would caution. If If I go back to last night and I think, okay, what did I say? Nolan Gorman 
Mason Wynn would be kind of the two headliners. And then you have to give some Alec Burlesons and maybe your two best pitching prospects at that point, whether it's Graceffo or McGreevy or you give him a, a major league guy like Palante or Zach Thompson. Like those are the, the names I was throwing around. That was all in an effort to pr- protect which players? My 1A, my 1B. Dylan Carlson, Jordan Walker. Those are the two players that if I'm the Cardinals, I'm desperately trying to protect. According to Jeff's article, if you read it closely enough, he does mention that Jordan Walker would potentially also be in this trade. Cardinals would like to avoid losing Walker and Mason Wynn in the same deal, so they pivot to Gorman as a a piece they're willing to trade. But that doesn't mean it's going to be Gorman and Wynn. It could very well be Gorman and Walker. And that would be a little disappointing, I suppose, because of the way I've described it as those are the players the Cardinals are trying to protect. And it seems that that's basically spot on with what people are reporting in the industry. The Cardinals want to protect Carlson and Walker. That makes sense. They may not have the luxury of doing so, I think, is what it boils down to in what I'm trying to describe tonight. Trade deadline is, what, five days away? It's the 28th now. We'll wake up on Thursday morning, and you'll have all of Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, and then I believe Tuesday. So the sixth day then will be the trade deadline. It's in the evening this time, I believe, 5 p.m. Central time. Normally it's like 2 or 3 p.m. So it's pushed back a little bit. It's pushed back a couple of days from July 31st. So, hey, more time for the Cardinals to deal. And guess where they're heading this weekend? To Washington, D.C. Give John Mozeliak and Mike Rizzo a chance to catch up. But here's the thing. If it's Gorman and Walker, I look at it and go, do the Cardinals really need to take on the $59 million in Patrick Corbin's contract at that point? Like, that would seem almost like, and I, it sounds crazy saying this, but an overpay for Juan Soto. But then you realize that you just said overpay for Juan Soto, and it's almost like there can be no such thing because he is Juan Soto, and there is only one. There's only one of him. And those guys don't come available all that often. So if it takes what it takes, you got to decide, think at the end of the day, whether you're going to do it. In comments that were made by GM of the Washington Nationals, Mike Rizzo, on local radio in the D.C. area today, tend to back that up. 106.7 The Fan is the the weekly radio hit that I believe Mike Rizzo does out there. And he was asked about the Patrick Corbin rumors, the rumors and reports floating around the Twitter sphere that the Nationals are interested in shedding that Corbin contract and connecting it, attaching it to a potential Juan Soto trade. But then there's the matter of, well, wouldn't that decrease what the Nationals can expect to get in terms of top prospects? Like, would they still be able to get a Walker and a Gorman if they have that Patrick Corbin contract in there and, and the Cardinals have to pay all that money? That's kind of the premise we've been operating around that, yeah, we want to see the Cardinals take on that money because it should mean they have to give less in the way of prospects. But I was interested to, to hear what Mike Rizzo had to say today because he seems to at least publicly be nipping that in the bud and saying, that's not really the way we're looking at this. Here's Mike Rizzo. I'm going to play this for you, courtesy of 106.7 The Fan in the Washington, D.C. area, talking about whether or not the Nationals, as a primary objective, are looking to attach Patrick Corbin in that $59 million remaining between the next two seasons, 2023 and 2024, to a potential Juan Soto trade. There's so much speculation and there's so much minutia out there in this uh, the social media world. Uh, it's it's frustrating uh, and and maddening for for me to read most of it. Uh, you know, we've never we we we've never uh, contacted the team and and talked about Juan Soto and attaching any contract to to any player. 
we're not going to dilute a, a a return for any player by uh, by adding a bad contract. That's not where we're at in our organization uh, at, uh, at this time. We want to get the most for uh, for each and every trade that we do. So we certainly are not going to uh, uh, tack on a any anybody's contract to uh, to any anybody's deal, including Juan Soto's or Josh Bell's or anybody's. So that's of course very interesting to hear from Mike Rizzo, the GM of the Washington Nationals, because. The premise we've been operating under has been widely reported. Like Jim Bowden reported that this was a possible thing they were looking to do. Jeff Jones mentions Patrick Corbin. Others have done so as well. Basically, the Cardinals are waiting to see and trying to discern in their conversations with the Nationals what Washington actually wants. I think that's honestly reading between the lines what it boils down to at this point. What do you want? Well, Mike Rizzo seems to be indicating there they want the best possible return they can get. And the place that it gets a little bit sticky for me is obviously Corbin is a negative net value to a trade. So if he's in there, Cardinals should have to give less. That's a no brainer, but also the Cardinals could use Patrick Corbin. So part of me wonders if there's a way that the nationals would include him, but they're willing to pay some of the money so that they don't dilute the prospects and the MLB ready talent that they would get in return for Juan Soto. Maybe if you're into, if you're paying Patrick Corbin, the 60 million or the 59 million for the next two seasons, he's not worth that. He pitched really poorly today, in fact. Got taken out of the game after recording two outs in the first. He gave up five runs, I believe it was. And it wasn't a hug watch like, oh, he's getting taken out of the game. I wonder if he's getting traded. No, it was more like this guy, this poor dude needs a hug after the way that he's been pitching recently. So it's not a situation where the Cardinals would happily pay $30 million a pop, $30 million a season for Patrick Corbin. But they could also use him. He's a reclamation project that I feel like at the number five spot in their rotation, you could do worse if you weren't paying him an exorbitant amount. So it's kind of a dance I think the Cardinals have to do here. They know they need pitching, and you can make other trades to do it. But if you're giving a bunch of prospects and MLB talent to the Nationals to get Soto, it does deplete your system and and limits what you can do and and pivot to make other trades elsewhere. Especially if a guy like Bader or O'Neill, these guys aren't, tradable necessarily due to injury or whatever the case might be, you you have to sort of map out what you're looking to do and know that there is a hole, not only in the starting rotation for this team, probably two starters need to be acquired by the Cardinals. Uh, you've also got issues in the bullpen. So trying to figure out the ways to navigate all of that is not necessarily easy for St. Louis at this point in time. And while I maintain that adding Corbin to the Soto deal would be the to the benefit of the Cardinals as long as they're willing to pay the money, we do have to at least pay some attention to what Mike Rizzo was saying. Could totally be a smokescreen because it wouldn't probably play very well in the D.C. area for him to go on the air and admit that, yeah, we're looking to get rid of some bad money because our owners are cheap and we don't want to end up having to pay that money. They don't want to pay Patrick Corbin. It was a deal we shouldn't have signed. He even did call it a bad contract, which I thought was funny. Like, I don't think you'd ever hear John Moselak be that candid to say that a guy that's still got two and a half years remaining on a deal and is not injured, he's pitching, he's just playing poorly. I don't think you'd ever hear Mosella call it a bad contract, but he did. Mike Rizzo said that the radio guys that were interviewing him didn't even use that term. They said because of his contract, but Rizzo actually called it a bad contract, which I thought was interesting. I, I The entire interview was pretty refreshing, actually, just to hear the way another GM talks, the way another executive speaks about the way things are going. He was gave a lot of information. Cardinals are pretty close to the vest with their, with their talks, but Mike Rizzo actually talked a lot about the negotiation process with Juan Soto and agent Scott Boris. And it, it was kind of refreshing to hear all of that, but nevertheless, 
The Cardinals, I think, do want to acquire this player. They want to do so without mortgaging the entire farm system. It would stand to reason that Corbin being involved would allow for that. I don't think that Rizzo's comments, as I said, on the radio necessarily mean that they couldn't still end up having Corbin being included and allowing that to keep maybe an extra top prospect or, for lack of a better phrase, dilute the prospect package, even though Mike Rizzo said that that's not what they're going to do. I think there's enough reporting that's going on to suggest that it's possible that Washington would be considering that. They just would never admit it ahead of time. That being said, there also is a third possibility here, that the Nationals know they want to trade Juan Soto and get the most possible for him, and it stands to reason that doing so now would likely accomplish that because that would give the acquiring team three Octobers with him, two and a half years almost, two years and two months, rather than doing it in the offseason when whoever gets him only gets him for two years at that point. You don't get this extra playoff push with Juan Soto. And so at that point, teams might be inclined to offer less because they get less Juan Soto. It stands to reason that that would be the case. That being said, if they cannot get the package that they want within the next five or six days, they might be in a position to not be desperate enough to take less than they're willing to take, if that makes sense. Who's got the leverage, I think, is exactly what decides what happens with Juan Soto here, and it's sort of a game of chicken. The Nationals can say, we don't have to trade him right now. And if they really in their heart of hearts believe that and they stick to that, That will put the onus on the Cardinals. The leverage would be with Washington. The onus would be on John Moselak and the Cardinals to say, how badly do we really want this? Because we can get this player. Like, we're close enough at this point that we can taste it. But do we really want to give up Jordan Walker and Nolan Gorman and maybe our best pitching prospect, whoever that may be, if it's Graceffa or Libertor, whomever that might be? Like, are we willing to give up the massive package it would take? Could we stomach that at the end of the day? When you know you're getting Juan Soto, it seems like it would be possible to stomach it. It's not that he's a free agent to be. He's going to be around for two and a half years if you get him. And if that offer's on the table where they say, Cardinals say, hey, we don't want to give you Carlson or Walker. We will give you Gorman. We will give you Mason Wynn. We will give you Graceffo and Burleson and Tink Hentz. We'll give you all five of those guys. That's that's like four or five top 100 prospects, essentially. Gorman isn't one anymore, but he was top 30 before he graduated from the list. You you got it. You, You could have what you want. We'll do it. The Nationals could sit tight and say, that's what we're going to need to hear from the Cardinals before we act. Because the Cardinals can do all they want and say, well, we don't think we want to give up Walker and Gorman or or whatever. We'll give you Wynn and Gorman. Like the Cardinals can negotiate down, but the Nationals, if they decide they don't have to trade him now, they would be the team with the leverage. The way that John Moselak usually wins these trades, think Arenado, think Goldschmidt, is when the other side recognizes they no longer have the leverage. Arizona had to trade Goldschmidt at that point because if not, they were going to go into the final year with him and he was going to be a rental when someone picked him up in July. Cardinals got him for a full year and they extended him before spring training even began. That was their goal. Cardinals got what they wanted. Arenado, same situation. They they talked around this deal for multiple years until the Rockies finally said, we can't do this for another year because we don't want Arenado to opt out and we get nothing for him. He's basically said he's going to opt out if we don't trade him. And the Cardinals say, well, we know that those opt-outs are in the contract still. We want him to be around long-term. We think he will be, but you gotta, you got to give us some money. Cardinals recognized that they had the leverage. The Nationals, or pardon me, the Rockies did not when it came to Nolan Arenado. Moselak, if I had to guess, is going to try to play this the same way. He's going to know that he's got to give more in terms of prospects than he did for Arenado. Like, Gomber was really the only piece that was significant. 
from that deal, and he's a, a middling starter, number three, number four, number five type starting pitcher at the big league level. That's about all he is. And that was like the main piece the Cardinals gave up in that deal, depending on how Elias Montero turns out, the power-hitting third baseman. But otherwise, they didn't really give up a whole lot. It's not going to be the same way, but it's the same principles with Juan Soto. I think if the Cardinals do the deal, I hesitate to believe they will give Walker and Gorman. But that might be a conversation that takes place this weekend in D.C., and we may come out on the other side of the weekend where I say, yeah, they did it. I'm surprised they did it because I didn't think they would be willing to go that far. I thought they were going to see if the Nationals would blink, see if they were the ones that uh, would give away the leverage to the Cardinals the same way the Rockies did or the Diamondbacks did in those two previous trades. But I think that's the area that we're operating in right now. It could go either way, in my opinion. It could go the way of the Nationals do blink a little bit. They put Corbin in there. They're willing to let the Cardinals keep Carlson and Walker. And the Cardinals give a heck of a prospect package and MLB player package after that. And they take on the Corbin money and they get Juan Soto. I could see it going that way. I could see it going the way of, no, Corbin's not in it and you need to give everything. And the Cardinals either meeting that or not. I could see it going the way of Corbin's in it and the Nationals still say you've got to meet everything and the Cardinals could decide to be the ones that get desperate. It hardly ever happens. I'd say that'd be the lowest percentage chance that they give up just a package where Cardinals fans are going, are you kidding me? That's so much. Like, yeah, it's nice to get Juan Soto, but that's a lot. And they got to pay Patrick Corbin. What about the pitching that you have to go out and get this offseason after Wainwright retires potentially? Oh, boy. that Like, I could see it going that way. I could see the Cardinals balking at it and saying, we'll make the Nationals be the one to blink, and if they don't, we'll we'll revisit this in the offseason if we need to. All of those are possibilities. But there is always that possibility that the Cardinals look at this and say, all right, the Nationals didn't blink. We don't want to give up Jordan Walker. But we got to be realistic in that. We're getting Juan Soto, and so we can't very well say, hey, these are our top two assets in Carlson and Walker, and you can't have either of them. Sorry. The Nationals would look at you like you're crazy. I mean, it's possible they would do that and say, "Guys, it's Juan Soto. What do you think we're What do you think we're talking about here? It's not a grilled cheese sandwich. Like you have to, it, it, you got to give to get." And John Mozeliak might say, "Well, I didn't have to give to get when it came to Arenado, and they paid him to go away. Can't Can't we do something like that? Realistically, it's not going to happen this time. But if you can even get anything close to the Nationals stepping off of their maximum offer, where I've said they think they want all three. They want MLB players, they want top prospects, multiple of them, and they want to get rid of Corbin. You can't have all three. I still don't think the Cardinals will give them all three. That being said, there will come maybe the come-to-Jesus moment for John Mozeliak, which is, hey, this is the best and final, and it's on the table. Like, they'll take this if I press the button, if I say yes, if I send that text, they'll do it, and Juan Soto will be a St. Louis Cardinal will be fascinating to see what ends up happening if Juan Soto and the Cardinals and the Nationals get to that point sometime in the next five, six days. Keep letting me know what you guys think about it. At Schaefer 12 on Twitter, I've gotten some great feedback on direct messages this week about the podcast. Make sure as well to, when you subscribe, which hopefully you've already done on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, also to leave a review, five stars would be preferred, but to, to rate and review the podcast would be great as well as we try to expand and get more people to know about the show. Going to wrap things up here shortly, but I did want to mention really quickly the Mike Trout stuff. It was very interesting. Basically, news came out today that Trout's been dealing with this back issue that they've known about, but the way they described it was this rare condition that he's going to have to 
to deal with. And Twitter started freaking out as though this was something that was going to impact the remainder of his career. And is he even going to be able to play the outfield anymore? Is he, is he ever going to hit again? And I think people get scared off by the medical terminology of it all because there were some big words and T5 and vertebral and all this stuff. And I said, man, that doesn't sound right. So I asked, I've got medical personnel in, in the family, occupational therapist, my wife, her mom's a physical therapist. My mom's a chiropractor. All these people, my sister just graduated chiropractic college as well. I asked him, hey, what is this uh, deal with? And I didn't even tell them what it was. I didn't tell them that it was baseball related or whatever. But I said, this, uh, this injury, this back injury, and I read to them the exact terminology of what it is. I'm not looking at it right now in front of me, so I can't find the exact terminology. But they said, oh, it sounds like, uh, you know, rib out of place, uh, not, you know, not all that terrible. Angels are talking about it as though it's this really serious thing for Mike Trout that he's going to have to deal with for the remainder of his career. And then I asked my wife and I asked her mom, I said, what would you tell me about this injury? Like, how would you go about doing that? It's like, yeah, that's not really something that needs any sort of surgical intervention, like some physical therapy, some monitoring, going to be just fine. And so I tweeted that out. I said, uh, well, what did I say? I tweeted out retweeting a story from Jeff Flesher, which I feel bad for Jeff Flesher now of the uh, OC Register because he wrote about it, and all he was doing was sharing what the Angels had said and what their doctors had said about it. But he caught a lot of flack, and then uh, I, I think because of my retweet, Angels fans were in my mentions and were talking down on him, and so I felt a little bit bad about that. But I said, well, I talked to an OT, a PT, and two chiropractors about this Mike Trout thing, and it generally sounds like the Angels are bungling this. Unless there's something deeper going on that's not present in the story, none of the four people think that this is anything nearly as rare or scary as it sounds. I don't think it's anything rare at all, and certainly not, not all that scary. And then turns out Mike Trout got a chance to speak post game, and said basically the whole thing was overblown. Like, yes, I plan to play again this year. I'm probably going to be able to swing a bat pretty soon. Seeing the doctor on Sunday, no long term concern. So I made Angels fans mad. I made people. I made doctors mad. A lot of surgeons mad. But sometimes I. I think uh, it also there were the Angels fans that said, the Angels bungling, well, that's what they do. They bungled all kinds of stuff. And I, I guess that's also kind of true. Like they've been kind of an epic disaster in a lot of ways in the recent years. So it is what it is. My main takeaway from this, though, is I hope that Mike Trout gets the care that he needs from the Angels because we want to see Mike Trout be great for years and years to come and not be limited by some sort of debilitating back situation that doesn't need to be that way. If it's an, if it's an easier fix than maybe a surgeon might think it is sometimes. And again, I got a lot of flack for this, but sometimes I don't think the surgeon, the surgical opinion is the best way to go. Sometimes you can ask a PT, somebody who's not trying to just surgery you up to fix everything. And maybe Mike Trout would be better off for it. I, I got to recognize though, too, that the angels, I'm sure they've got all these medical staffers that are, that are going to do the best to get him back on the field and healthy. But at the same time, when you read some of the comments that I saw, because they ask one spinal surgeon who says, Oh, I've never heard of this. This is rare. And then I ask four people who say, yeah, that's exactly what this is. It's not a big deal. I do tend to question the spinal surgeon that the angels are talking to. Maybe that's just me. Maybe I'm the dummy. It wouldn't be the first time. But that's going to do it for this edition of the show. I appreciate you guys, as always, for tuning in and listening. Make sure, again, to subscribe if you haven't done so. I appreciate you guys. Thanks again. And we'll talk to you next time on Be Shaved Daily. Peace.